the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news the drag that parable we'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 13 today verses 47 through 50 but until we get there I just want you to listen very carefully to these notes dum 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 ladies and gentlemen the story you are about to hear is true only the names have been changed to protect the innocent now, what radio show and later TV show was that from? Drag That. Very good. You see, Drag That was a radio and television crime drama about the cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police detective named Sergeant Joe Friday and his partners. The show takes its name from an actual uh, police term, a dragnet, meaning a system of coordinated measures comp uh, apprehending criminals or suspects. Perhaps the most well-known show ran from 1967 to 1970 and starred Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday and his partner Bill Gannon, played by Harry Morgan. Now, I know there may be a couple people in here that have no idea what that show was because they weren't even born yet. <laughs> But those notes are very well known throughout trivia radio and TV. You see, that program, by the way, captured the intent of today's parable better than any commentary I have in my library. It was about a police dragnet which swept through the city of Los Angeles and would capture and bring in all kinds of people to be investigated to have either their badness or their goodness in the eyes of the law exposed. And that's exactly what this parable is about. Incidentally, it was located in the right place, the city of angels, because in the parable of our Lord associates angels with the judgment. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning as we read those words, we recognize, once again, something about the kingdom of heaven. Something about the judgment. And something about the end time. And Lord, I pray we'll take these parables seriously. For as Jesus taught them, he was teaching something extremely important about the kingdom of heaven. And if we want to go to be with you one day, we have certain steps that we need to follow here to ensure that we, Father, will be with you forevermore in the heavenly realm. So I pray, Lord, we'll take these parables seriously and we'll learn from them and we'll walk them, Lord, in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the most famous words from that show, Dragnet? 
It was these. Just the facts, ma'am. We just want the facts. And here in the seventh and final parable of Matthew 13, there's a majestic movement through this entire sermon as first a solemn warning is given to the hearers of their responsibility for receiving and obeying the good news of the kingdom. The parable of the sower, for instance, was followed by a parable of the judgment which will finally come upon the wicked and bring blessedness to the righteous. That was the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Two little parables, the mustard seed and the leaven, speak of the need to accept the word of God and his will and not be corrupted by the world. Then we have the two parables, the treasure and the pearl. They present the challenge of the exceedingly precious character of the kingdom. And that the gaining of the kingdom requires the surrender of all worldly objectives. And now the parable of the dragnet cast into the sea warns that not all of those who seek to gain the kingdom will do so. You see, here in the kingdom of heaven is compared to a dragnet, which plainly represents the church. The fish are taken by force. Death is the fate of all that are taken. Again, we see Jesus use an object that was clearly understood by these twelve apostles, as half of them were fishermen and all were to be fishers of men. The principle of this parable is not difficult to understand. There will be two different kinds of people who will be within the net, good and bad. And there will be a time of separation. Each will be according his proper fate. The part that the angels will have in the summons to final judgment and the terrible fate of the wicked are emphasized in this parable as in the parable of the wheat and the weeds. I want you to understand here so often, people think they're going to get to heaven because they're good people. Well, my Aunt Sadie, she was a good person. According to whose diagram? Sadie's diagram. Well, my diagram. Now, I'm not saying Aunt Sadie's not a good person, but it's not up to her. It's up to God. You've noticed in this parable who does the separating. It's the angels, because they know God has given them that authority to separate between the good and the bad. It wasn't up to the fish to decide, or the pal next to the fish. It was the angels decided. You see, from a biblical standpoint, a dragnet was a large net for trawling, for catching a large number of fish. Oftentimes it was a large net that was attached to two boats, Sometimes a half a mile wide. And fish of every kind would be gathered into the net. And the net had floats and nets so as to create a wall of net so that nothing escaped. And as the dragnet was filled, it was hauled to the shore, awaiting those who would begin the process of separation. Did you see the useful, the good fish that could be sold at market were gathered and separated from the useless bad fish that would be thrown away. And that's what it was all about. Either one for your own survival or for selling at market. In other words, here's one for you. Catfish were forbidden for Jewish people to eat. You know why? Because clean fish were those having scales and fins. Those without fins and scales were thrown away. Catfish don't have scales. 
Boink! They're gone. I'll be honest with you. Up north, we don't eat many catfish. That's more of a southern thing. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the parable of the dragnet. And it gives us three thoughts about the righteous and the wicked. About the righteous and the wicked. And the first one is this. The righteous and the wicked will exist together until the end. They will exist together until the end. For instance, remember the parable of the wheat and weeds. Both existed together, remember? It says, uh, And the slaves of the landowner came and said, Sir, has you not so, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares or weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said, Do you want us to go and gather them all up? And he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. You see, some fish are good to eat and some are not. Now, as I said, up north you don't think about catfish a whole lot. I like catching them, but Dad would always make me throw them back. But as a boy living in Pennsylvania, I would get all excited about the first Saturday in April. Now, how many of you know what the first Saturday in April? Nobody here from Pennsylvania. First Saturday in April was the opening of trout season. It was a big event in my family. My dad and a few of my uncles would make the annual trip to the streams to catch trout. When I was a youngster just learning this art of fishing, like most boys, I envisioned catching the big one and catching so many that I would surely have my uh, limit of eight fish by 9 a.m. And the excitement quickly wore off when I was aroused out of sleep at 4 a.m. And somehow preparing to go fishing wasn't so exciting when it's still dark. And I'd say, Dad, why are we getting up so early? And my dad would say, because, son, we need to get there to get the best spot. Can't the best spot wait till 6 a.m.? And so off we went to get our good spot and wait until the light of morning so the fish could see our worms. And so daylight came and the lines hit the water and the minutes and the hours passed and like many youngsters learning this fine art of fishing, I got impatient and bored. I wanted to catch fish and I hadn't caught anything. Where's my trout? It's 7 o'clock and I haven't caught any yet. And then I magically discovered another fish that was in the stream. And liked my, he liked my worms and it put up a fight. And it was fun to catch them. It was called a mud sucker. And unfortunately, my dad said, Boy, you need to throw that back. They're not good for eating. But dad, they're fun to catch. But son, we're not here to catch mud suckers. We're here to catch trout. You see, some fish are good to eat. And some are not good to eat. Good like trout and bass and cod and halibut and tuna and perch. Bad like mudsuckers and dogfish and carp. What makes the difference between these good fish and bad fish in this parable? To truly understand, we must search the scriptures and remember just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, we have a choice whether we want to be a good fish or a bad fish. Jesus died 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. But if we're going to become the righteousness, then obviously we need to do something to be a good fish. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, not even one. So we know, okay, if we're not righteous, then we have to do something. Can we do something to get righteous? Because obviously that's the only thing going to make us a good fish. And so it says in Romans 3, 21, 24, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So obviously we can become good fish because of the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. How do I get this grace? What well, says in Romans 6, 1 through 11, What shall we say then? Are we continuing sin that grace may have, uh, increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we had died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. The facts are this, brothers and sisters. We need salvation from our sins because they, they will send us to eternal condemnation in hell. Jesus came to die for each and every one of us so that we can be saved from hell. And it starts with faith and must continue to be obedience. And as I read there, baptism is part of the salvation process. That's how we're going to be good fish. We have to rely on Jesus. We have to do what he says to do it his way. Now, I know this is not a popular subject. Never has been, never will be, but it is necessary. Why? Because so many people still haven't gotten the message. In, in a Newsweek article, Kenneth Woodward wrote these words. Churchgoers take comfort. Hell has all but disappeared from modern Christian theology. But this comes at a price, he said. Another preacher wrote these words. Hell, it would seem, has fallen on rather lean times. It used to be that the vast majority of Christians, regardless of denominational affiliation, believed that hell was a real place where the wicked and the impenitent go when they die. The very thought of the, the pains and torments of hell was enough to scare sinners straight. It used to be that ministers of the gospel would preach on the horrors of hell to persuade reprobates to repentance. But not anymore. Most American mainline and so-called evangelical churches stopped preaching about hell years ago. 
Most mainline ministers stopped believing in hell years before that. And hell made people uncomfortable. Hell was too old-fashioned. The topic of hell was bad for the bottom line. Attendance and income. Well, I'm happy to say that I've got one of your mainline ministers because I'm not going to stop preaching about hell. It's real. I'll stop preaching on it when America and all the rest of the world start believing it exists. When did hell become a party place? I talk to people. Well, I know I'm going to hell, but I'll just be there with my buddies. Or we'll just have a big old beer party. I can never understand why it was always a big old beer party with my buddies. Huh. Read in Luke where the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man just wanted Lazarus to just touch his tongue with a drop of water because he was in such torment. And I want to say, where's the beer now? Or, you know, Satan's afraid of me coming down to hell because he knows I'll take over. Whoa. Brothers and sisters, hell is not a place we want to go. I had a friend who was a volunteer fireman, he gave me a video to watch at home of a fireman going into a fire, a full-blown structure fire. Had a camera on his helmet, he went in. You know, something I, I saw, I respected, you go into a fire and it's going to be all bright and lit up because of how fire lights up the, everything, right? But inside, there was so much smoke you could not see in front of your face. Also, it was 750 degrees. And fire didn't go into that. And that's how hell is described. Outer darkness. Where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pain so excruciating, it causes you to grind your teeth. And that's going to be forever. And you won't care who your buddy is. You won't want it. You won't even have a name in hell. Nobody will care who you are in hell. How do I know? Isn't it interesting in that, that and I don't believe it's a parable about the rich man and Lazarus because an actual person's name is used and that actual person's name is not used in parables. So I think Jesus is referring to a real event here in Luke when he said, talks, but it talks about Lazarus. We know about Lazarus. He's in Abraham's bosom. He's comforted. But the rich man has no name. They knew him as the rich man. Who cared how many riches he had? He was in torment. Why am I spending so much talking about this? Hell? Because I want us to recognize it's a real place. And we don't want to see anybody go there. 
See, the righteous and the wicked will exist together to the end. If that is how we think, then, then we forget the good fish and all perish as bad fish. Only the good and useful will be saved. The bad and useless will be cast away. Leads us to our second point. The righteous and the wicked will even exist together in the church. <gasps> that was a shocker. There are varying different opinions in the commentaries on this passage. The dragnet could refer to the church and the sea being the world. It seems that it could fit since other parables refer to the kingdom in this way and Jesus in the parable of the wheat and weeds said the field was the world. However, the dragnet could very well be the gospel that is cast out for all to have a part and that some will accept and others will not. And in the end, those who have accepted by faith and obedience are pre presented by as a good fish and those who are not accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ are cast out as a bad fish. You see, a real key point here is this. The church will be judged and within the church there are both good and bad fish. Now just because someone has their name on a church roll does not reserve them a ticket for heaven. Now I know. And some might even be thinking, uh oh, preacher is getting pretty uh, personal now. If someone asks the Church of Christ preacher this question, are you one of those narrow-minded Church of Christ people who think only people in the Church of Christ, Christian church, are going to heaven? And he responded, I'm even narrower than that. I don't believe half of them are going either. Amen, brother! Remember, just the facts, ma'am. We just want the facts. Now, how can a bad fish exist in the church? Well, how about this? Ungodly beliefs. What? Ungodly beliefs? Absolutely. Listen to what Matthew chapter 16 says. Verse 15. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now Jesus was, now they were questioned about who, they had heard who he was, and, and he said, who do men say that I am? And, and some said, oh, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, or one of the other. And Jesus said, well, who do you think I am? Talking to the disciples. And Peter stood right up and said, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now what he's talking about, not that he's going to build the church on Peter, but he's going to build the church on what Peter just said, that Jesus is the Christ. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about forgiveness of sin and preaching that gospel message. Then he commanded the disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised again on the third day. But Peter, he took him aside and said, he started to rebuke Jesus, said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life 
will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? <coughs> you see, we can't reach out to the minorities, people say. People say, oh, we want to stay a small church. What are your plans for growth? What are your plans to form more small churches? The church here is to serve me, not for me to serve the church. Ungodly attitudes and beliefs affect the church. It affects brothers and sisters and it affects the growth of the kingdom. Sin affects the church. Those are things that if you believe those things, well maybe, just maybe, your doctrine's a little messed up and oh, you're going to the right church. But maybe you're a bad fish. On a cruise ship, some stewards and sailors became concerned about a clanging noise from one of the cabins. And they forced open the door to this cabin. They saw this man taking a pickaxe to the side of the boat. And the stewards and sailors restrained this man and asked him, What are you doing? If you manage to put a hole in the side of the ship, we will take on water and we might sink. And the man said, How dare you? I purchased this cabin. What I do in it is my business. What do you care? It's on my side of the ship. Now, I want to be used of God, not used of Satan. How about you? Philippians 2, 12, 13 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation, what? With fear and trembling. For it is of God who is all, is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with how? Fear and trembling. Those who are useless will be cast away. We must examine our beliefs to see if they're right and true. And 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Now let me say this. You know, not everybody who walks in here and sits down and puts on that face and smiles and, and hugs and and carries that big Bible to church, has ever been converted. I've seen it happen time and time again. Why are they here if never converted? Maybe it's love of power. Maybe it's love of fellowship or the love of excitement, love of happiness, love of study. Or maybe it's the love of how many people in the church they can get names and addresses and phone numbers for so they can try to sell them insurance. Seen it. Not just making stuff up. Or maybe they have a vendetta against someone. I know of a man who came to the church building many times. He sat close to the front. He sat there and he would sit there kindly and listen to every word the preacher said for a few months. Then one weekday he showed up at the front door of the church building with a knife in his 
pants back here and pulled a knife on the preacher because he didn't like what the preacher was preaching about. Oh, he would have thought, what a wonderful man. He comes every Sunday. He's always so kind. He puts his money in the plate. He wasn't there for the right reason, was he? He was a bad fish. But everybody would have thought he was a good fish. I'm not making this stuff up. Matthew chapter 7. What Jesus said about the people never converted. Chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, have cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people have a form of godliness. They look holy, righteous on the outside, but inside, they really don't know the Lord. You see, quote-unquote, just going to church will not get us into heaven. If going to church makes us Christian, then going to McDonald's makes us a McDonald's hamburger. You see, perfect attendees who fail to let the word and will of God take root in their life end up like in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which we devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, the Lord will judge his people. And here's a frightening verse right here. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Some might say, I was saved many years ago, but I never go to church. What? I never give any money either. Do they really know Jesus? Yeah, I don't think Jesus is their friend. They don't love his bride, the church. Then what do we what are we going to think of that person? Oh, don't get me wrong. I've met people like that, and people would say, Oh, they're a good person. Really? We're to watch out for people like this. Who are among us but appear to be ungodly? See, we are to judge their fruit. And when Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged, we often forget the next sentence because the verse scares us off and people use it so incorrectly. You shouldn't judge me. You shouldn't judge me. Oh, really? What's the next verse? For in the way you judge, that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will measure back to you. So I can judge you by your fruit. But if I'm judging you by your fruit, then you can judge me by my fruit. That's what he's saying. You see, we are to judge the fruit for the purpose 
of being on our guard. But in the end, it's God who will judge the eternal soul. Now, I don't say these things to scare you. Like, oh, am I really saved? Oh, not at all. I say, say these things for all of us to recognize how dear and precious our salvation is and we can lose it by our own, lack of a better word, stupidity. We can walk away from God. I read that there in Hebrews chapter 10. It's very true. So don't walk away from God. Don't quit on God. It's that simple. And then third, only God knows the righteous and the wicked or from the wicked. When it comes to the eternal soul, God's the judge and his judgment will be final. Yeah, I heard of a death in a church. A death of an elder lady who was in the church for some years. And she died. The elders called an elder meeting to sit down and discuss whether they thought this dear lady of the church was in heaven or not. Nine elders sat down to discuss whether they thought she made it to heaven. And I'm happy to say she made it to heaven on a 5-4 vote. <laughs> wow! That's sad. 2 Timothy 4. 6 through 8 says, For I am already being poured out, Paul said, as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Praise be that God is the judge, for he knows what his people's heart is like. And I can praise the Lord because I am in love with His appearing. I'm looking forward to Him coming. I would like to utter the same words that John uttered. <coughs> Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But when I utter that, I know the people in my life that are not going to make it. And it's hard to utter those words. You know, in Acts 15, 8, it says God knows the heart. Now, there's something that no earthly judge has the ability to do. You see, God will separate them because he knows them. We may be surprised who will be in heaven and who will be in hell. <coughs> so what about those people who came forward, were baptized, and seemed to go through the plan of salvation? We may see some on the left hand of God with the other goats because there are some people... They were not sincere. For instance, maybe I'm judging incorrectly, but again, I'm allowed to judge the fruit. We built a new church building in Maryland. Spent nine months building that church. Eight, eight, nine months building that church building. 144 different church members helped build that church building doing whatever capacity. We were allowed to help the work. <coughs> The general contractor that was brought in and worked with us and helped build that church building. And the day it was opened, he came down the aisle to be baptized. He wanted to be the first one baptized in that new baptistry. 
and he was baptized. But I can guarantee you, after that, he did not walk the walk of a man who had given his life to Jesus. It was only about being the first one to be baptized in that baptistry. Because he got in a lot of trouble soon after that building was built. He got in a lot of trouble with the, the financial people or whatever <coughs> that he owed a lot of money to. He didn't walk the walk. His fruit did not show it. And Jesus made it quite clear, didn't he? When he said, I am the true vine and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can the, you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For a part of me you cannot do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them where? Into the fire and they are burned. God will change our hearts through Jesus Christ if we let him. We will have good hearts full of the spirit. We will be good fish. But some people are not serious about this. And they're going to be with the bad fish. You see, God knows you. How do you stand with him? One day Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In Matthew 13, 51, he said, the end of these parables that we've been studying the last few weeks, have you understood all these things? Dum da dum dum. Dum da dum dum dum. And in the end, the dragnet will get you. Will you be a good fish or a bad fish? Just the facts, ma'am. All I did was just give you the facts. One of these days, you'll be called upon to be judged before God. Will he judge you as a good fish or a bad fish? You see, now is the time to decide. That's the cool thing about this whole thing. If you would be judged right now as a bad fish, you still have time to change it before you face him. Whether it's through death or his second coming. By faith. It starts with faith. Leads one to repent. Faith leads one to confess the name of Jesus. Like the Ethiopian eunuch did. Faith leads you to be baptized. Be immersed in the watery grave. Be buried with Christ as I read in Romans 6. Raised to walk in newness of life. Acts 2.38 says God washes away your sin in that baptistry. Fills you with his Holy Spirit. You just went from being a bad fish to a good fish. Now keep that good fish status by walking faithfully all the rest of your days. Will you make mistakes? Sure, you will. 
But that's when you get to confess your sin to God and ask His forgiveness. And you still remain that good fish. And one day you'll get to hear those incredible words. Enter in, my good and faithful servant. 